all of us tend to want to get other people's attention on ourselves. All of us tend to do that. We want to get other people's attention on us. Now, some of us are shy, and you'd say, no, I'm not that way. But even the shyest person would like to have some level of attention from others. We all want that. And we think, in the back of our minds, the reason for that, we think is that will bring us happiness. Having the attention of people on us will, bring, will make us happy. So if, uh, if you have an idol, you know, something that you really look up to and, and adore and appreciate, you tend to try to want to make that idol happy so that idol will make you happy. All right, so if you're, as I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, if you want to be famous, you try to stoke that idol to, to, to make you famous because you think fame will bring you happiness. Or if you love pleasure, you try to make your idol happy so it will make you happy by bringing you pleasure. So the point is, is we want to replace our idols and put Jesus right there and say, Jesus, I want to make you happy because I know you're going to make me happy. Now, that's a little bit of a selfish way of looking at it, but it is a truth, and I'm going to prove it to you through the Bible. And you can see it over and over and over again. If you will choose to make Jesus happy, you'll be the happiest person on earth. Stop looking to make other people happy and start looking to make Jesus happy. Amen? And so... Um, Look at this kind of anchor verse that we're, we're going to all, base all of this off of today. Ephesians 5.10, and it's just a phrase out of this verse that I'll share with you. It says, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Now, there's uh, Christians, Christian circles, people tend to look at the Bible and they see the will of God, and then they say to themselves, I wish I knew the will of God for my life. When am I going to know the will of God for my life? Hey, how can I find out? And I would tell you, you go find out. <laughs> it says right here, find out what pleases God. Stop waiting for some brilliant thing to happen and to strike you on the top of your head to figure out what God's will is. Read the Bible, and you will see what God's will is. Read it. If you're not reading it, you're not going to know what God's will is for your life. But this verse says, you, go find out and find out what pleases God. Go figure it out. How do we do that? Well, reading the Bible, as I've mentioned. In 2 Timothy 2.5, it says, no one serving as a soldier. So let's picture a Fort Bliss uh, GI. Maybe he's in an E3, E4, all right? It says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. This E3 can't go out and get a job. He or she already has a job, and they're a soldier. All right, They're not going to get entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. All right, These soldiers should, maybe not all of them, but they should be totally focused on ple pleasing their, their captain or their sergeant major or whoever it is that they're working for, they should be completely focused on pleasing that, that person. Now, to say that someone pleases you, what does that mean? Whenever my kids please me, 
It means simply they make me happy. That's all pleasing God means, is you do something that brings a big old smile to God's face, and he's happy with you. He's happy with you. Now, thankfully, the, the work that Jesus did brought God's love directly into your life. God loves you. God loves you. But now it's time for you to start making him happy. Do things to make him happy instead of always trying to make yourself happy. And in turn, you'll find that that is, in fact, what makes you happy. His pleasure, listen to this, flows over from him to us, and that's what we call blessing. So picture this. I make God happy. He gets joyful, and all that joy starts spilling back onto me, and that's what we call blessing. All right? I do something to bring a smile to his face. God's heart gets enlarged, if you will. His joy bubbles up, and it starts spilling out over to me, and then I'm happy as I can possibly be. Why? Because I made Jesus happy. All right, so there's tons of examples of this in the Bible, but if you want to look at one of them, and we'll look at several. In Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Remember, God's joy spilling over is what blessing is. How can I get God's joy to spill over on me so that I'll be happy? I trust in him, and I put my confidence in him. All right? If I will get up in the morning and say, I'm going to stop trusting in the U.S. government, I'm going to stop trusting in my employer, I'm going to stop trusting in myself, I'm going to stop trusting in my property manager who might be renting me an apartment, I'm going to trust in God today. Period. I'm going to trust in, I'm not going to trust in my spouse anymore. Now, there's a certain level of trust there, but you know what I mean. I'm going to start relying on God. I'm going to stop relying on myself, and I'm going to rely on God, and I'm going to be confident in God. You know what's going to happen? That's going to make God so joyful, he's going to spill over onto you, and he's going to cover you with, with your trust. If you put your trust in him, he's going to come through with you financially. If you put your trust in, in him, that blessing is going to spill over and you'll get the relationship that maybe you're missing right now. You start push, putting your trust in him, he is going to take care of every one of your problems. That's the blessing of God. Make God happy and he will make you happy. How can you make him happy? I've just mentioned one way. Trust in the Lord refuse to put your trust in anything else but him in order if i'm leaning on one thing and god's over here how do i begin to lean on him i take my arm off the thing that i've been leaning on i walk over to him and i start leaning on him before you can trust in god you have to stop trusting in the thing you're trusting in right now that's that's a fact and that's called repentance, actually, saying, I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to start this. That's repentance. And that blessing will start pouring. That joy of God will start bubbling over into your life, and you'll experience true, true happiness, not to mention true, true blessing. All right, so let's look at Matthew 5. This isn't going to be very long this morning, so you can be happy about that. And how many of you memorize scripture sometime? Anybody? All right. 
I am the worst memorizer in the whole world. There's nobody who memorizes worse than I do, but it doesn't mean that I don't try. All right? So I've tried to memorize the Beatitudes, and I'm going to put myself in, out in front of you, uh, be a little vulnerable here, and I'm going to try to quote the Beatitudes. All right? I might have to peek down at my notes because I'm that bad of a memorizer, and I could get nervous. But I'll read the first two verses and then start speaking verse 3. It says, Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, all right, here it goes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the... See, I'm already blanking out. That's how bad. I, I think it's uh, merciful. Mourn, mourn, mourn. There it is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure, for they will be, let's see. Oh. They will see God, exactly. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me tell you what. If I can, you saw my problems. I have to, I have, to have a little cheat sheet, and I keep coming down to it, because I have the worst memory in the world. I challenge you, memorize the Bible. Not the, I mean, not the whole Bible. Memorize scriptures in the Bible. And if you can memorize the whole Bible, by all means, do it memorize the Bible. The Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does it mean to hide it? Well, not only to memorize it, but to meditate on it, to think on it, to let it ponder it, to let it go over in your head. You will only think about, we've already talked about this, you will only think about that which you love. If you will start loving the Bible, if you'll start loving God, you will want to think about him a lot more. All right? The reason why we don't is because of our our imperfect loves, as we've talked about recently, all right? So let's go through these just really quick, and let's reverse engineer these verses and see what part we play in order for God's blessing to spill out over on top of us. So the poor in spirit, let's think about that. The poor in spirit, that is not a very appealing thing to me, the poor. I, I don't want to be poor. You don't want to be poor. Uh, to be poor in spirit, I could look at that and think, well, I don't even want that. I don't know what it is, but I don't even want that. I don't want to be poor in spirit. All right? But the Bible says that being poor in spirit makes God happy. It makes God happy. And if I'm a disciple, I want to love the Lord. I want to make him happy. So I better figure out what being poor in spirit means. Poor in spirit means, in very literal sense, a helpless beggar. A helpless beggar, really, who's completely reliant on God. Now, you've heard this term, getting to the bottom of the barrel. Oh, you know, maybe a, a person who's on drugs, they haven't gotten to the bottom of the barrel. Well, let me tell you something. There's no bottom to the barrel. There's no such a thing as the bottom of the barrel. You will go deeper and deeper and deeper, and the only bottom is death and, and assignment to hell. In this life, there's no bottom of the barrel. And so as you, as you spiral down this, this cave that goes straight down, there's these outlets that go out. 
and you can choose to exit that downward spiral, and it's by becoming a helpless beggar who is completely relying on God. Completely relying on God. I'll never forget talking to a former Teen Challenge guy. Unfortunately, walked out of Teen Challenge, but I got to talk to him. This was a long time ago. And as I was picking him up off the streets to bring him to church and then dropping him back off at wherever he was staying on the streets, he told me something I'll never forget. He said, I'm a homeless person. And he said, you know what my number one problem is? And the number one problem of every homeless person is? And I was like, this is going to be an epiphany. I can't wait to hear what this guy tells me. He said, you know what our number one problem is? He says, it's pride. A homeless person's number one problem is pride. He says, I wasn't man enough to say, I need help, God, help me. It, it was just an epiphany to me. And see, when you're in a di- downward spiral, the reason why you're not getting out of it is pure pride. Is keep saying, I can make it. I can figure this out. I can do this. I can, I can, I can. And you realize, I can't. I need God's help. And so you take one of these ventilation holes, so to speak, thinking of like Star Wars, going down, you know, a a narrow gap, and there's these outward things that you can get out of your downward spiral if you will be a helpless beggar, wave at God and say, I need your help. That's the poor in spirit. And many people who are successful have trouble with this because they, they don't feel like they're in a downward spiral, but they are. We all are. We need God. I saw this other little statement about this this term, poor in spirit. They rate themselves as insignificant. They rate themselves as insignificant. Now, you go to any school, any institution of higher learning, and the the number one thing that you're going to hear is believe in yourself. You know, you can do anything. The human species can accomplish anything. And this is exactly the opposite. It says, count yourself as insignificant and therefore count God as significant. Now, anybody, if, if we had a guest in here, they'd be listening to this and say, I don't like this gospel at all. <laughs> but what this is referring to is count your old self as insignificant. Count the alcoholic self as insignificant. Count the addictive personality as insignificant. Count the gambling self as insignificant. Count that old self as insignificant and begin to put God and say, God, you are significant. That's what the poor in spirit is. God-reliant and all the significance on him. What is the blessing? So I'm doing this. I'm being poor in spirit. I'm trusting in God. I'm considering my old self insignificant. What happens? His joy starts bubbling over into my life. And the blessings start pouring out into my life. And if you ever look at the amplified, the classic amplified version, it expands the meaning of blessing to this. Listen to this. Where it says blessed are, it says blessed, parentheses, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward conditions. So if you want to know what blessing is, look that up in, the, in that amplified classic version. It'll expand it for you and amplify it for you. That makes God happy when you depend on Him and stop depending on yourself and others. Depend on God. 
reverse engineer that, his blessings start spilling out into our lives. And what does it say? It says, ours is the kingdom of heaven. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. Well, I don't know if you're like me, the casual observer. I'd say kingdom of heaven. How does that help me again? <laughs> what, what, I know that's after I die, but what, how does this help me? Let me tell you, it helps you enormously. And let me tell you how. Have you ever been one of those people, and I'm sure we all are, we look out and say, God, why do you allow child abuse? Why did you allow that tornado to go and destroy that small Midwestern town? Why did you allow that poor little kid to, to deal with three divorces in his parents' life? Why did you do that, God? Why does God allow bad things? to Have you ever, have you ever thought those thoughts? I have. Of course we have. All right. Let me t let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is God's sovereignty intervening in this day and age and stopping that kind of garbage from happening. That's what the kingdom of heaven is, is when you say, God, I'm going to start depending on you. My old self is significant. God, you are significant. You start praying and that little child is spared abuse from their life. Or you pray for that hurricane to be turned out and go back out into the... And God's sovereignty says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spare the whole northeastern coast of the United States because you prayed. My sovereignty, the kingdom of heaven here on earth, showing me exactly what needs to happen and God intervening and doing it and saving that cancer patient so he can still be a parent to his children. Amen? You want the kingdom of heaven, the sovereign rule of God here on earth in this present day and age. So I want to make God happy, don't you? I want God's sovereignty. I want to see his work in my life and around those that I care about and that I love. Here's the next one. Blessed are those who mourn. What is this mourning business? That sounds pretty depressing. <laughs> why, would that, why would mourning make God happy? All right. Well, the mourning that's referred to here is the tears that cleanse your soul. Have you ever cried and actually felt better after you cried? <laughs> cried especially when you did something wrong and you knew you were forgiven and those tears were just tears that just cleansed your heart from all the garbage, guilt, and condemnation that you had. That's the mourning that's spoken of here, tears of repentance. And repentance, once again, I'll never forget this. This is not original to me. I heard it in a sermon. But tears is where you're standing before the cross and God has placed all his goodness and nailed his goodness to the cross for you. And you're holding all these things that you love so much. And you finally look up from all your imperfect loves, your love to be successful, your love for education, your love for you know, wealth, your love for fame. And you get your eyes up and you see God's goodness and you say, forget it forget this stuff. I don't want this anymore. I want that. That's what repentance is, is getting rid of your imperfect loves and saying, I want to love him. I want that in my life. Amen. That's repentance. And it, listen to this. Sarah reminded me of this as I was kind of walking, uh, walking them through this. Um, you know what? When you repent, you actually start hating your sin. You start hating the very thing that you loved. You actually start hating it. You despise it. See, when, when you're not repentant and you're trying to get out of the sin, whatever it is, you hate yourself, but you love your sin. 
You hate yourself, but you love your sin. But when you truly repent, you hate your sin and you love God. Amen? That's the place that, that's what mourning does. That's what this mourning is re referencing here. And so when I repent with tears of repentance, God's joy starts spilling over, over onto me. And what does it say? I'm comforted. That's the blessing. Now, neither the English word comfort for this or the English word for meekness gives us any strong picture of what these words mean. Comfort means encouragement. Have you ever been encouraged where all of a sudden you got this spark of hope and you're like, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you raise up, you may have been bowed down by worry, and all of a sudden you stand up and you say, it's going to be okay. God is going to give me a, this is going to work out. God is going to work this to my good. He works out all things together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We can do this. That's what this word comfort means. And by the way, if you think of the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the comforter. He is the encourager. He's the one that injects hope into your life so that you can get up and face another day. Amen? That's what comfort is. And so God's encouragement spills over onto you when you're repentant. When you say, God, I want Jesus in my life more than all this other mess that I've been seeking. Here's the next one. Blessed are the meek. And here again, the English language doesn't even come close to doing this justice. When I think of meek, I think weak, right? Meek people are weak people. That's, I mean, that's just an automatic thought that I have in my mind. And you know what? That's not what it means at all. That's not what this Greek word for meekness, it, it literally means God's strength under his control. God's strength under his control. You know what? We're told uh, in, in our humanistic, secular society, you got to dig down deep. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You've got what it takes to get through this. That's hogwash. <laughs> the Bible talks about God's strength and finding his strength. You look inside yourself to find some little, uh, you know, little tiny pebble of strength in you. Don't look inside yourself anymore. Start looking into God and find strength in him that you can hold on to. There, here again, it's the same thing. Stop looking inside yourself and start looking inside of him. Amen. That totally transforms the way that you live. And you know what that does? It makes God happy. It makes God happy for you to look into him and find the strength that you're looking for in, in him. It, it also speaks of demonstrating power without harshness. Power without harshness. Many people, when they get the power of God, the strength of God, they become harsh and turn the gospel of grace into a gospel of legalism. You better watch out. If you're not careful, you know, God's going to throw you into hell. He's going to punish you. You know what? Power without harshness. It's a gentle power. It's a gentle power, and that's the power of our God. So stop looking in yourself, looking to God. The blessing that spills over when God gets so happy with you for your approach to this is... He gives you an inheritance, says they will inherit the earth. When you start reaching into God, 
This inheritance, by the way, uh, is, is here's a word, kind of a word picture. A father with four sons would take out four lots and like straws, and he'd say, here, you pick yours, they'd pick theirs, they'd pick theirs, pick theirs. And what that was was a division of his inheritance into four parts. And once that boy had his straw, nothing could take his inheritance away. That was his inheritance. God's given you an inheritance here on earth. They will inherit the earth. God has something for you with special boundaries. Uh, Psalm 16 says, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. You know, if you're successful, you know why you're successful? Because God has given you an allotment. He's given you an inheritance. And if you will go and take it, <laughs> if he's offering it to you, if you'll go and take it, he'll give it to you. He told Joshua, he said, I want you to go into the promised land. Everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you, Joshua. But you know what he told Joshua? Only be courageous. What does that mean? Find your strength in me and stop trying to find your strength in yourself. Amen? There's the connection right there. You start finding your strength in God, he's going to give you an inheritance that no one can take away from you. What kind of inheritance? A, a healthy marriage of an inheritance. Amen? A husband, a spouse, a wife who serves the Lord faithfully. That's an inheritance, right? Kids who grow up in a godly fashion and serve the Lord all their life. That's an inheritance. A good shelter, a good home, a good place to live, and a car to drive. Food enough to buy the things that you need and want. That's an inheritance. Let me tell you, it's put your strength in the Lord. His blessings are going to bubble over to you into an earthly inheritance. Absolutely powerful. I've been just, isn't this stuff good? This just blesses me. I've been thinking on this so much. In fact, I, I, well, this is the next one. I'm sorry, I was jumping ahead of myself. The next one, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, something near and dear to Brother Jimmy and me because it meets with... Uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first of priority. Did you know that it was only in the 20th century that the word priority became to, began to be plural? In the past, priority was always one thing, not priorities. You could only have one priority, not multiple priorities. Now, in our day and age, we, we praise the multitaskers. Those poor people are delusional. Multitaskers don't work. All they do is slow themselves down for the 10 things that they're doing. If they would simply, and I'm a multitasker, if I would simply take one thing at a time and do it, I would get all my stuff done quicker, and I would do it better. Amen? And so we have got to have one priority, the priority of seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And what will happen? All these other things will be added to you as well. But let's look at this. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. This simply means to value the spiritual, the divine, more than the physical. It means that you seek the prosperity of your soul more than the prosperity of your life. That's what, that's what hunger and thirsting for righteousness is saying. 
I think it's better to read my Bible than a novel right now. I think it's better to read my Bible than to entertain myself with TV. Is there anything wrong with novels and TV? No, 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 no. Please don't go off that end. I'm just saying my priority is Jesus. It's the most important thing in my life. Why? Because I love him. I love him. We, I tell you what, we praise the habits and forget about the root, which is the love. We only do things because we like to do them. If you don't like to exercise, you can go ahead, make it a habit, you're going to fail. You've got to find a way to like to exercise, and then you will exercise. It's, it's all based on love. But hunger and thirst for the righteous. Prosperity of the soul over the prosperity of your life. All right? What is righteousness? It's the approval of God. It's the approval of God. And I've always had a mother and father who loved me, and praised me, and I never had to get to that place where I felt like I was trying to get their approval. But many of us have had that need to find that approval in that parent we may have never had or never gave us the attention. Let me tell you what, God is approving you. (laughs) He's looking and smiling at you. And you need to accept that approval that he's given you as a free gift of love through your faith in God, he approves of you. How? You say, I've messed up too many times. Through his son, Jesus, he paid the price. He paid the price. He approves of you. Start enjoying his approval. And when you start enjoying his approval, all of a sudden the guilt is gone. The whisperings of guilt are gone. The condemnation is gone. The stabs of your past are gone because Jesus approves of you because of his sacrifice. Um, it says that these people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. They will be filled. Now, this I love this. I kind of dug into this word filled. This word filled means fattiness. They, get, they eat so much that they just get big. <laughs> and the Bible says that the anointing breaks the yoke. And that anointing, that word anointing means fattiness. It means the fuller you are of God, the less hold Satan has on your life. You're gorging yourself on God. The anointing breaks the yoke of addiction. It breaks the yoke of guilt, of condemnation. It's just like this example that I've given in the past of a little elephant who's staked there. And as that elephant grows larger and larger, it always thinks that stake keeps it locked down. With one yank of its head, it'll pull that stake up. The bigger you get with God in you, the stronger you get. Get filled. Eat up his word. Eat up his anointing. Eat up his love. Eat up his promises. And stop loving the things that you love. Start loving God. He's going to fill you. I love it in 3 John 2. Now, you're going to say, well, you're forgetting the verse. John... 3 John only has one chapter, so I'm referring to verse 2. It says, Dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I like the King James a little bit better here. It says, I pray that that you may prosper in health even as your soul prospers. Even as your soul prospers. So seek the prosperity of your soul. Matthew 6.33 says, If you do that... All these other things will be added to you as well. Proverbs 21, 21 says, uh, If you pursue righteousness and love, you'll find life, prosperity, and honor. I probably got those backwards. 
Seek righteousness. Seek the approval of God, which he's given you, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Make God happy through seeking after righteousness, but seek, make God happy through being merciful. What is being merciful? Well, this has been such a blessing to me. When I see somebody trip over and over and over, spiritually trip up over and over again, at some point, I as a human being get tired and I want to slap them upside their head, right? Get up. Stop it. Start walking. That's not what God does, though. You know what God does? He's merciful. He picks them back up. He puts them back up on their, their two legs, and he says, he whispers in their ear, you can do this. With my help, you can do this. Now get going. He does that how many times in our lifetime? Indefinite number of times. There's no limit to the times that God does this. He's merciful. So this encourages me because now I know how to pray for people. When they fall, I pray this prayer, God, justify them right now. Justify them. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, let me, let me share with you the scripture. In Romans 3.26, it says that Jesus is the one who justifies those who have faith in him. All you need to be justified in God's sight is faith in Jesus. And so if I'm praying for a Christian, I say, God, just justify them right now. Because they have faith in you, justify them right now. And I'm, I'm not just saying, you know, he, he died on the cross to justify them. Whisper into their ear, they're right with God right now. And the drug addict, the person who's hooked on pornography, the person who's not serving his or her family the way they should, when they hear that whisper from the Holy Spirit, it'll snap them right into shape. Snap them right into shape. Similarly, if you say, well, that's how you pray for a Christian. How do I pray for a non-Christian? You pray, God, forgive them of their sin. Forgive them of their sin. I get that from Acts 5.31. It says, God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as Prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So I'm praying in accordance with God's will. Lord, forgive their sins. As soon as someone feels forgiven, their life changes. Their life changes. Amen. The next one says, uh, uh, how, how do we make God happy? Blessed are the pure in heart. Good grief. They're coming this week, I promise, to change this out. Um, the pure in heart. Clean. What does pure mean? Clean. Unmixed. All of us have impure hearts. We have a mixture of loves in our hearts. And God's weeding those little loves out one by one until we have a pure heart that says, I just love God. If I, God would never do this in, in, in this picture, but I'd say this just as an example. If God were to present me with a genie jar or whatever you call it, you know, and I were to rub it and out pops a genie and the genie says, you have one wish, just one wish, and I will grant it to you, whatever you ask me. I want you to think about it. What would you, what wish would you ask that, that genie? All right? We all have probably our different variations on this, but I finally came to the conclusion I really would answer this question. I want to love God with all my heart. I really, really do. I want all these other loves plucked out of my heart, and I want completely to love God. I want a pure heart 
only in love with Jesus. Amen. In fact, I'll tell this. I told this to the youth. Not as praise to myself, praise to God. Um, I was at a, a, a company conference this week, this last week, and I had in my position, uh, I was asked to go to 18 tables and in three-minute increments tell these people what I do for a living. <laughs> so all my people that we work, we have over 900 people in our company, and there's about 120 of them there. And so I was supposed to go and ask, tell them, I do this, I do this. So 18 times I had to do this over the course of an hour and a half. Well, at one point, somebody pipes up at the table, and at one of these 18 tables, and says, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And I was like, I, I wasn't expecting that kind of question at all. And so I said, well, that's a really personal question. I'll give you a personal response. And I said, I want people to know how much I love Jesus. And so I said it this way, and it's a table of, I don't know, there's probably four or five, six people. I said it this way, and these people couldn't hear what I said. And so the lady's face went, oh. <laughs> Well, that's a weird answer. And so this lady over here said, what, what did he say? What did he say? I turned around. I said it even louder. I want people to know how much I love Jesus. And that ended the questions. <laughs> Nobody wanted to ask any more questions. Let me tell you what. We need to fall in love with Jesus. It's not about the effort that you spend in reading your Bible or praying or going to church. It's about how much you love Jesus. Get rid of your other loves. They're not worth it. They're temporary. They're not going to amount to a hill of beans. Stop trying to make those idols happy and start trying to make Jesus happy so he can spill all his blessings out on and take you places you've never even dreamed you could go. Amen? The pure in heart. One thing. Listen to this. Psalms. This is awesome. Psalms 27.4 in the King James Version says, One thing have I desired. That will I seek after. Stop going off on trying to seek God and start trying to love God. And then you will seek God. Amen? It's not about your habits. It's not about your willpower. It's not about your gumption to get up every morning and read your Bible. It's about how much you love God. When you love God, you will read your Bible. You will love God. You will tell people about Jesus. Speaking of telling people about Jesus, how about this one? Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I misread this, and I always pictured this one as a poor, pitiful mother of six, seven, or eight children who had a dysfunctional family and is constantly trying to keep peace in her family. I thought that's what this verse was all about, and that's not what this verse is about at all. All right? Blessed are the peacemakers uh, speaks to bravely declaring God's terms of peace, which makes someone whole. The peacemakers are the ones that says, God has some terms of peace, and I want to share with you what those terms of peace are. All right? It's, did you know you can't have peace in your heart until you've made peace with Jesus? That's, you know, people, you're not going to get peace out of yoga. Stop trying to make yoga bring you peace. It's not going to work. Peace only comes when you've made peace with your maker. <laughs> Amen? You've, rec- you've been reconciled through Jesus to your maker. You're going to have all the peace in the world when you live in that reconciled relationship with Jesus. And it's bravely declaring, bravely declaring these terms of peace to everybody. So I have a friend of mine, high school friend, uh, never known the Lord, doesn't know the Lord right now. And his wife now has cancer. He's about my age. He has two little kids that are, I don't know, five and eight, I believe. 
and he's facing the reality of stage four cancer. His wife isn't going to be with him much longer. He's going to have to raise these two daughters. And I'm wanting to share with him the terms of peace that God has for him. I want to share that with him. I'm trying to find the right way, the right time, the right approach when this can be done for him. So, by the way, um, Kyle, if you can show this, throw this picture up on the screen here. I don't know if you can see it. Do you recognize these guys? <laughs> Idiots, number one, okay. Um, Penn and Teller, uh, they've had a comedy show on the Vegas Strip for decades. They've been there for a long time. Now, this guy right here, the tall guy, who's I think is Penn, um, I got a YouTube video of him after one of his shows that I want to show you right now. Okay, so if, if you'll throw this up, listen to what this guy is. He's a self-proclaimed atheist, but listen to what he says after one of his shows. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... Uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and... Uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. 
And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Something you can you can look over the fence and see what people really really want and There's a lot of folks out there that are wanting to hear what terms of peace God is, has for them And if you worry about social being socially awkward You think I worry about me losing my job, you know, I email people. I'm praying for them <laughs> You know Sending at times verses, talking to them on the phone, doing public things. One of these days I could get in trouble. Am I more worried about that or am I more worried about people knowing about who Jesus is? All right? It's time for us to take the step. You just saw what people are thinking on the other side of the fence. They want to know if this is real or not. And you can make them know. And what happens is that blessing bubbles or bursts over on us and again the kingdom of heaven is yours the sovereignty of god this man can still be convinced of jesus he can still be convinced amen so let me end with this make jesus happy and his blessings will make you happy <laughs> it's as simple as that what do i need to do i need to trust god Take your trust off of other things. Go place them squarely on God. When I lean on something or someone, do I make myself vulnerable? Yes, I do. But I'm doing it on God Almighty, and he's going to cover my vulnerabilities. He's going to protect me. He's going to defend me. Here, So we trust him. We need to seek God's blessings alone. Only the blessings that come from God are the blessings that I want. I don't want any blessings coming from you. 
I don't want blessings coming from my employer. I want blessings that come from God. Now, he may let his blessings come through you and through my employer or through whoever, but I don't look to them. I look to God. I want his blessings. I give my attention to him, and I seek his attention on me. And I'm going to stop looking for other people's attention. I want God's attention. And that's it. <laughs> Does that make sense? All right. If you want to be happy, start, start making God happy. And if you don't know how to do that, look here at Matthew 5, because it shares, I think, 8. Eight different ways that you can make God happy.